Welcome to the Everyday Ironman podcast, where we talk to real athletes just like you and me that are working to complete an incredible goal. My name is Mike Bosch, and I'm excited to have with me today former D1 collegiate track star and four-time Ironman finisher, Dennis Fieras. Dennis, welcome to the show. Mike, so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. I am really glad to have you on the show. I know that you have what I'm going to consider a non-traditional transition into the sport of triathlon. And we definitely, uh, we definitely want to talk about that, right? Cause you come with a track and field background, but it might surprise some people when they hear what it is. Right. But as always, I always ask my guests in the, my guests in the beginning of the show to give a level set introduction of themselves. And what I mean by that is, are you married? Uh, do you have a family? Do you have kids? Um, do you work full time? Are you going to school? But I want to say most importantly, but I think the thing that we like to talk about is what was your athletic background? So we have already established that you were a D1 collegiate track star. So maybe you can just uh, let my audience know what event you competed in while at the University of Notre Dame. Well, I'm married. Um, my wife has also done the same four Ironman that I've run. Okay. And we have an 18 month old son. So life has changed quite a bit in mm -hmm. the past, you know, two years. Yeah. And, you know, Ironman, just like being a shot putter at the University of Notre Dame. So on the field team, not necessarily on the track team, mm -hmm. has, you know, given me an opportunity to compete really at something after graduation that is able to give that competitive drive. Gotcha. So I'm going to ask a question that I don't normally ask, but we're friends now. How long ago has it been since you uh, left the University of Notre Dame? So I graduated from Notre Dame in 2011. Okay, so you're about, uh, if I do the quick math on it, you're about 11 years out of college. Yes. Okay, perfect, perfect. I mean, I know it's not socially polite to ask somebody their age, but we have uh, made the point before that the uh, sport that we compete in it's it's almost a matter of record within four plus or minus four years. I could just look up your, uh, you know, I could just look up somebody's uh, age group and I could plus or minus know how old they are, right? Um, so that's pretty fun. So for my listening audience that might not be aware, can you describe what the shot put entails? Okay, so the shot put is this event where you get really large guys, some small, some skinny, some tall, some short. And it is at the collegiate level, a 16 pound ball that you get to try to throw as far as you can. And there's a couple of attempts that you'll get to basically your name gets called, enter into the ring, mm -hmm. take a throw, try to stay in. It's however far the ball is when it hits the ground, doesn't roll, but just from where it leaves the, the foul line and gets to the, call it the end of the pit. Okay. And that's how they measure the distance. So it's to it's to the initial uh, contact with the ground. Yes. Okay. And I get shot put and the other sport or event that's very close to that where they throw the frisbee in that awkward way uh, mixed up from time to time. But it, is the technique similar to where you spin in a circle a number of times to gain momentum? A little bit. You could say that. It's uh, It's basically a turn and a half. Oh, it's just a turn and a half? Okay. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Okay. So I was going to ask how, how heavy the shot put is, but you already told us that it's 16 pounds. And I don't know, honestly, Dennis, if 16 pounds is more or less than I thought it would weigh, but 16 pounds sounds pretty heavy for that thing. So the best analogy that I would say is if you go to the bowling alley, typically mm -hmm. your largest bowling balls are 16 pounds. Oh, wow. And they tend to go down from you know, 8 pounds, 12 pounds, and the women throw a a shot put that's four kilograms, so 8.8 .8 pounds. And okay. then high school boys throw a 12 pound shot put. So okay. as you get to the collegiate level and then also at the Olympic level, it's a 16 pound shot put. Okay. And did you, did you do shot put all four years at Notre Dame or did you graduate early or? I, I spent four years at Notre Dame, four years on the track team and four years getting a degree in finance. I might need some uh, financial advice later. I got some, uh, 
I've been playing around with some uh, day trading on some some cheap stocks. I might need to talk to you about that, but we'll talk about that offline. And so, how far did you throw this sixteen pound, almost bowling ball sized round? It, what is it made out of? Iron, steel, metal. I actually don't know. It was just one of those things that you have, and it. We'll just call it a metal sphere, right? Steel ball. Yeah. How far did you throw this steel ball, Dennis? Meters or feet? I got to be honest. I'm still confused when I go to the pool if I'm swimming in a 25 meter pool or a 25 yard pool. So I'm not. Sh- I'm not so sure that I'm going to know the difference at this point. Let's go with meters. So the the furthest I've thrown uh, was 18.57 meters. Okay. Which is equivalent to 60 feet 11 and three quarters of an inch. And so how long is a bowling alley, do you know? So if you take a bowling ball that's 16 pounds and uh-huh. throw it from the foul line and hit the head pin, mm-hmm. that's 60 feet. So that's how far you threw it. You threw the shot put the length of the bowling alley. Yes. Wow. That's pretty far. It was good enough to get me the school record at Notre Dame. So you held the school record. And this is the University of Notre Dame. This is the Fighting Irish. Is this correct? Yes. Okay. So this is the Fighting. This is the world famous University of Notre Dame. This isn't some little school out in the middle of nowhere that just spells the name similar, and so people get it confused all the time. But this is the real deal, Notre Dame. Correct. So let me ask you this, because we're going to get into the meat of some stuff here in a second. We're just establishing that you are a non-traditional track athlete. That's what we're calling. We're laying down those tracks. So you threw it 18, we're going to say 18 meters, because I know there was a point something in there, right? 57, and I wouldn't say 18, because there's a big difference between 18 meters and 1857. It's about a foot and a half, at least. Oh, okay. So 1857. I'm so sorry. So you threw the shot put 1857. What was the record prior to you setting that record? 1825. Okay, so you beat it, you, you you beat it by a, a a noticeable amount. I think it's about a foot. Okay. And so that was 11 years ago or so, right? Cuz you've been out of school 11 years. Does the record still stand currently at Notre Dame? It does not. It it, it was broken in April of this year. Oh, so we're going to cue the wonk, wonk, wonk music, right? So it's, but it stood for 11 years. Well, it, it is 10 years and 357 days, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, who's counting? counting? Yeah, who's counting, right? Who's counting? And how, I, I don't want to open a wound here, uh, but how, how much did the, this new, this new record exceed your, your existing record? Again, less than a foot. I mean, when you're talking about records, especially, you know, the one that I broke and mine that got broken, you know, we're, we're so close that, that you can have the record by a centimeter. And as you're approaching it, and especially the gentleman who, who broke my record, great kid, um, had a chance to meet him, had a chance to meet his family, be able to be at the meets. Cause I, I live in just a right outside of the university. It's like three miles to get there. So I've had a chance to go to the meets, had a chance to, to meet the kid and his family and you know, the consistency that you have to have when you're throwing is usually personal bets aren't by a couple centimeters. They usually come whenever you've been able to be consistent and then you get a good throw and then you gain a couple feet. So, you know, those records are something that have always been kind of an eye shot of, hey, someday I want to get there. And then it takes a, a good throw to get it. And it's not like you break it by four feet initially. You get it by a couple centimeters, a couple feet. And, you know, that's how kind of the world of shot putting works. Gotcha. And that makes sense. I mean, in swimming and running, I mean, those, those records are broken by hundreds of a second, right? So anything, any, at any point that you can measure something that could be the difference between one record or the other record, I would assume. All right. So, so we've established, we've, we've set the, we've set the, the baseline. So now, now we want to know is how did you transition? How did you transition? Cause that's a term we use all the time in triathlon. How did you transition from a D one collegiate school record holder shot putter? I hope I'm hope I'm using that term right into the sport of triathlon. Probably the biggest thing that got me into it is hearing that 
people were going to go ahead and do the Ironman. So prior to moving to Indiana, I actually lived in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And being in Madison, they hosted the Ironman every year. And I think the first year they hosted it, we heard that Iron Man was coming to town and thought they were shooting the movie. So it wasn't until <laughs> you thought it was the Marvel me- Iron yeah. Man. <laughs> That's funny. So it wasn't until meeting a couple people who had, you know, been the, the guy working next to me said he was going to be doing the race or a friend of ours who was going to be doing the race that we actually learned what it was. Mm-hmm. And again, as a 260, 270 pound person who's hearing about people running a marathon after biking for 112 miles and swimming for like over an hour, the doing an Ironman was the furthest thing from, you know, anything that I would do. Right. And it took volunteering on the last aid station at Capitol Square in Madison. So as you're approaching the finish line, you got to go up to the Capitol and you come down. Mm-hmm. And we had the volunteer shift from 10 o'clock to midnight. So 25-year-old me sitting there volunteering, helping hand out water. And I'm seeing people come through that are of all ages, of all shapes and sizes. And Mr. Competitive that I am right, thought that if they could do it, I could do it. And I told my wife, hey, I'm we're, we're going to train. We're going to do this triathlon. And she looked at me like I was nuts. So had you done had you done any triathlon at that point? Had you done it like a sprint or anything? No. This, this, so you just signed, you just, hey, Ironman's coming to town. I'm going to check this thing out. I'm going to sign up. You picked a premium spot, right? To be a volunteer, by the way, finish line at the end, at the, at the late hours, right? What could be better than that? I've not been to Madison, Wisconsin, but I've seen several pictures posted of the finished shoot where the Capitol is in the background. It looks like an iconic backdrop for that race. And so that's what inspired you to say, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. It wasn't that quick. It's not like we volunteered and the next day we, we signed up. My wife maybe tapped the brakes on it and she's like, well, we should probably you know get bicycles. We should probably learn how to swim. We yeah. should probably you know do some running. But you know, it was seeing people do this thing that previously I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, it's not like I grew up, you know, swimming in a pool or laps. I mean, we had a river that we used to swim in as kids. Um, so kind of knew how to not drown. It was really the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the swimming baseline. And from a biking standpoint or cycling, like I guess I had a mountain bike that I rode on campus. So that should be pretty simple. And yeah. you know, the idea of a marathon, well, it's not water, so you can't really wreck. So, you know, the the disciplines at that point at least seemed achievable mm-hmm. from the standpoint of people have done it. It's just a matter of putting in the training, which, you know, if you think of my experience as a collegiate athlete, everything was always training. You know, you yeah. structure it, you attend practice, you get better. And um, I'd actually in 2013 had volunteered as an assistant coach on a track team in Madison. And it was the first year of the program. And the biggest thing that I learned from coaching those athletes is, you know, a lot of it is show up, (laughs) practice, and you get better. So, you know, they kind of taught me that you can get into the different nuances. And I think that's probably a big takeaway that, you know, I learned from the sport is just showing up and doing the workouts will make you better. And then once you're aware of what you need to work on, then you can improve. But you know, to get to the start line is probably the the biggest accomplishment in doing an Ironman mm-hmm. because then getting to the finish line is just the 140 miles of party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and there are there are definitely days. I know I've personally had them, and I've seen countless posts of days where people they're just like, I don't want to train today, and but but you, 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 you push yourself and you get out there and maybe you, you, you get it to a rough start, but ultimately at the afterwards, again, my experience and what I've read is they're like, I'm really glad I did it today. Like I've, you know, that sense of, of accomplishment and, and maybe, maybe the, the, you didn't set a PR or you didn't swim that much faster, but it's those small little incremental incre- uh, improvements that over a longer period of time are, are measurable. So I want to just kind of level set for us a second. So you're, you're 25 years old, you're volunteering. Um, how, how tall are you? Six foot. So you're six foot. Now you're a shot putter. So I would have to think that you're probably pretty strong and muscular and build at this point, right? Pretty much. 
I'm not body shaming you, Dennis. I'm just trying to paint a picture. Well, I mean, in college, you know, I, I think I set the school record. I was right around 270. It might've been a little under. Um, I, when I graduated, I was 280 pounds. So six foot 280 is where I graduated in 2011. And I lost a, a little bit of weight. So maybe 2013, 2014, averaging you know, 250 to 260, depending on what time of the year it was. But, you know, six foot 260 is still pretty large guy. Now, would, were you a muscular large guy? I mean, did you hit the gym and you were slinging some, slinging some weights around, as they say? I, I don't know if they really say that, but I would imagine they do. So growing up, you know, I, I grew up in a small town. So six foot tall makes you the offensive tackle and defensive nose guard. So my entire life, I was always the big kid, not necessarily big, big, bigger bones, I think is how it was always you know, phrased or husky. But, you know, when starting the, the triathlon world or, you know, getting into triathlon, I think I was just an athletic 260. But keep in mind, my background even to running, and this is a, a funny side story, but there was a time in college, you know, prime of my life, 18, 19 years old, where my coach told me over break that he wanted me to run three miles. And if you can imagine what my face looked like when my coach told me to run three miles over break, he was like, I want you to run one mile three times. And I'm not going to lie, that was hard, especially because you think, oh, I can go run a mile, go to the track, do four laps. And it was interesting because I remember trying to do that. And I'm like, oh, eight minute mile. That sounds great. We'll do two minutes per quarter. And I couldn't do it. And, you know, you talk, you're supposed to be a division one athlete and you can't run an eight minute mile. Like what's wrong with you? And the, the thing that happened with Ironman, or at least training for these triathlons is I did convince myself in 2015 that I needed to run a marathon or that's what my wife told me I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And because I was either competitive with myself or afraid of what people would say. If I told them that I walked the marathon, I convinced myself that I was going to run the whole thing. So I signed up to do the Madison marathon, mm-hmm. told myself I wasn't going to walk. And most people in marathons talk about, you know, where did you hit the wall? I'm pretty sure I hit the wall at like mile 11. Cause every mile got about 30 seconds slower. And, you know, by the time I hit mile 18 or 19, I was doing a 15 minute mile still running, but at this point, I can't say that I was actually running. Mm-hmm. And that was a lesson that taught me that, that, that there might be pride in saying that you didn't walk a marathon, but from an efficiency standpoint, I'd have been better off walking. Yeah. At least to catch my breath, catch my speed. Mm-hmm. So the strategy that I've implored with the four Ironmen that I've done is some disciplined run walking. Mm-hmm. And it, I think. With the exception, so I've done Ironman Wisconsin three times, done Ironman Lake Placid in 2019. It was six weeks before the last uh, Wisconsin. And I raced most of the Wisconsin ones at around 257. Mm-hmm. But I weighed in and they wrote it on the back of our bib for Lake Placid that I weighed 267 pounds. So it's, it's reasonable to believe that the hills of Lake Placid didn't do many favors. on the bike Mm -hmm. and the running with the impact and the knees, it just wasn't that great of a physically um, in shape race. Mm. So did they, they actually weigh you? So with the, the Ironman, the thing that they do in order to make sure that you don't need to be like given fluids or anything is they have you jump on a scale and they record your weight so they have your your medical weight the day before the race mm-hmm. on your emergency sheet so that if you get to the finish line and you're in the tent, they can see how much weight you either lost or gained. Mm-hmm. And Lake Placid was the first time that they ever wrote it on the back of our bibs. Huh. I guess that was easier for them. You know, that's so funny is at, now that you say that, that sounds familiar to me, but they didn't weigh me uh, when I did Ironman Texas. They never, they didn't weigh me before. They didn't weigh me after they didn't, they didn't wave goodbye to me when I left. Now that I think about it, um, I don't know. As you're telling me that I do remember hearing somebody else say that they were weighed to see how much fluid. Now I weighed myself just for personal, uh, interest the morning of, and then the night I lost eight Mm -hmm. pounds. I lost eight pounds, like between seven and eight pounds, uh, throughout the day. 
Huh. That's, that's super interesting. So they actually wrote it down uh, on the back of your bib. So you have that. You have that as a memory. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Not all memories are great, Dennis, I guess, right? So let me ask you this. So being a Division I uh, collegiate athlete, um, obviously you 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 went you did a fair amount of training, right? You said your coach told you to run three miles over the summer or the break or whatever. How, how different was your approach when you tr- transitioned into triathlon from what you were used to? So in, in college, and, and this is a, just it's what I used to tell everyone, we, we pretty much weight lift four days a week for two hours, and then we'd throw five days a week for two hours. So, you know, the, the commitment in college was very much structured, very much, you know, you're showing up, someone's making sure that you're doing the workouts, giving you that feedback. And with Ironman training, it was a little bit, we found a good community that was able to you know, we run on Tuesday nights, um, bike Mondays, Thursdays, and on Saturdays, swim Sunday mornings. So having the communities in the place to be is pretty much the accountability partner. Mm -hmm. And then the coaching, not the same. I mean, when we're talking about getting constant feedback on the smallest details, at least in college, that's good to get that positive feedback. Mm -hmm. But then learning how to essentially work out without feedback was kind of a big adjustment when it came to Ironman training, because it's easy to say, Hey, every run I do, every bike ride I want to do, I want to do it faster. Mm-hmm. But then taking into consideration, how's the body doing? How are we fueling? What was the heat? Like what was the weather? That's what really changed from being a college athlete versus a amateur Gotcha. Triathlete. And, and so you said that you and your wife have done all four Ironman races together. Is that correct? We've trained for them together. Mm -hmm. She usually catches me somewhere on the run and then we'll be there waiting for me at the finish line. So I'm a stronger swimmer and biker, but she just, I I wasn't putting you on the spot to, to ask if she was beating you, but I was curious. So these, all these races were prior to your son being born. Yes. Okay. So did, and I was, so I was, I was leading into seeing, or going to ask, did you guys, were you guys able to work out your, your schedule to where you did the majority of your training together? Or did you find yourself at odd times of the day where you were running and she was doing another activity and vice versa? Well, we really committed to at least having the, the Sunday morning swims, getting to the pool together maybe sharing a lane once people showed up our bike rides we would ride together i'd essentially ride with her maybe sprint ahead to the stop sign and wait and then from running she definitely ran more than i did but if we were doing it at a a group run we would show up at the same time we'd leave at the same time we'd just run separate paces gotcha yeah i would have to think from a relationship standpoint that's a benefit right because I love my wife, she's super supportive, but she's this isn't her thing. And so I'm constantly, I have a little bit of guilt around, I would imagine other people do too, of, you know, my wife's home or doing this and I'm out for a three hour bike ride or I've got to drive. I remember over winter, I drove an hour to the pool for a 45 minute swim and an hour home. And she looked at me, she's like, you're really driving into town right now? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's on the, it's on the schedule. Diane, I don't know what to tell you. Right. And so if you had your your partner, your you know boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, doing it with you, and you could coordinate training, I think that would save you some degree of heartache. Heartache, yes. Financially, as you talked about before, not not only can I get a new bike, but she can get a new bike. So for our anniversary, we went fun. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, that's 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 a thing. But it is one of the things of you know understanding the commitment. You know, with our first Ironman, what we like to say is we had the fear. We had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. So we were doing every workout that we could. We were making sure that we were doing all the recovery. We were really getting into it together where it was somebody else kind of keeping the accountability of, well, if you don't do this run, you're not going to finish, mm-hmm. which was helpful. Fast forward to our you know, third or fourth. She's like, you should probably work out if you want to actually do better. <laughs> oh, wow. But, but having somebody who understands and that's probably been probably the most accommodating thing with the birth of our son 
um, and some of the training and the work that I've done this year and I plan to do is she knows and understands and we can work through together. You know, how am I going to get my rides in during the week? Because it's not like we can just go out at six o'clock with a group without, you know, having a, a little one to, to be taken care of. But, you know, with that comes accommodations. So my intention is to bike the nine miles to the group ride and bike the nine miles back. So I'll get an extra 18 miles on top of our 20 to 26 mile ride during the week. Mm-hmm. It's not going to take that much longer to get there from driving, but yeah, you know, it, it's working collectively through those different scenarios, understanding there's going to need to be sacrifice. I remember actually my wife was pregnant with our son and I went out for a 20 mile ride and had that feeling of, you know, how, how am I out here riding? Like I, I should be home. I should be spending time. So the, the conflict that has come from doing training for a long Ironman and then now understanding what it's like to just train for a marathon or just train for a, a 70.3, it's a completely different animal. But that also comes with having done the full distance before and having done it with someone who knows and understands. Yeah what it's like to do the training. Yeah. So, so let me ask you that. This isn't necessarily a question I had intended to ask, but so you've, you've done for full distance Ironman and I don't know where you're placing in your age group. So I don't know if you are a, a Kona hopeful. At what age? <laughs> Not at 33. <laughs> right. And so, you know, there, I've had several guests on who are working to get to 12, to get to the legacy. And then I've even heard that they've changed some rules and it's going to be harder in the future. Do you have plans to continue to do the full distance or do you think there would be the 70.3? Because you just said it, right? It, it's not as time intensive. It's something, you know, it's a little bit cheaper for sure. Um, it's something that you can work around. I mean, what are, what are your plans in the near future? You know, you got 18 month old. Do you still plan to do the full distance or are you changing your outlook? So I'm, I'm hoping to do Wisconsin in 2023. Mm-hmm. There's a, a group that we train with who there's a couple of people who kind of slated that on there, knowing the course being helpful, knowing that our son will be older would be helpful. But, you know, this year I'm training for the Chattanooga 70.3 and then a couple weeks later doing the Grand Rapids try the half iron. Uh, That's in June. And I've already been kind of informed that how I train for these two might significantly play into how I do the 140.6 at any point in the near future. So. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm reading between the lines and I'm not going to project, but has your, has your wife said, Hey, if you don't, if you don't take this thing seriously, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about full distance races anymore. Well, there's a, there's a lot of time between now and September. (laughs) That wasn't a no. So now I know why Chattanooga sold out because everybody that I've talked to lately is doing, uh, the 70.3 in Chattanooga. Well, I was initially signed up to do it in 2020, which was going to be prior to the birth of our son. Mm Mm-hmm. But then the pandemic happened, so it pushed the year and then decided that it probably wasn't best to go down with a a young infant. So we pushed it another year and I'm really excited to see that course. I'm really excited to get into racing, you know, both Chattanooga and Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids is fairly close. Um, I did race Grand Rapids in 2019, PR'd at the, the half distance. I did six hours and 28 minutes and for me, it was exciting to have the speed that I did on the bike. And I'm pretty sure I, to my old standard, crushed it on the run. Mm-hmm. I did that race at 270 pounds, Oof. hoping to be doing this ton, 50, 60 pounds lighter. Mm. And the few sprints that I've done this year kind of taught me that if you lose weight, you get faster on the bike. <laughs> so rather than upgrading the components, dropping a couple pounds has made quite a difference. Yeah. So, so let me ask you that because, um, I thought I want to say it was Troy Clifton early on made the comment that Ironman training is not a weight loss program through my personal journey. I lost 50 pounds and you've, you've lost some weight. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on, and I, and I get it. It's not a, it's not a diet because we, ha- and I think what he, not to put words in his mouth, but you have to consume, uh, enough calories every day to not do harm to your body, right? So it's not that type of thing. But what are your thoughts around 
being able to lose weight in a healthy way through training? I, is it is it nutrition? Like, what's the key? From my Ironman experience, and this is again going back 2016 was my first Ironman. 2019 was my last. Mm-hmm. The I've seen weight loss during training, which is 10 pounds, maybe 15. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, in the six weeks between racing Lake Placid and Wisconsin, I went from 267 to 259, so I lost eight pounds. So I think people would say, like, "Hey, that's that's amazing." Looking back on it, I would say there were a lot of long training rides followed by a lot of joy and celebration. So yeah, kind of the you can eat anything that you want whenever you're training for an Ironman doesn't mean you're actually going to lose weight. It just means that you know you'll burn calories with a calorie deficit. You might lose weight. But what usually happens after Ironman season is tailgating season for college football, mm-hmm. which then kind of leads into a, a downward spiral that, you know, we find ourselves weighted right back up to, you know, sign up and do another one. So to the question that Ironman training is not a weight loss program, it's, it's not. But the lifestyle of being active, healthy, having good nutrition, mm-hmm. I think is a weight loss strategy. And that's why I think we you know, commonly hear diet and exercise because getting there with exercise can't be done and you can't outrun or ride your mouth. Yeah. As, as people have said, it it's kind of the truth. So, you know, fast forward to getting done with, you know, Ironman training in 2019 and, you know, heading into a global pandemic and, you know, some of the things that changed with work from home and eating in rather than eating out. And then, you know, we, we talked about earlier on the podcast, my record getting broken. And I think it was the, the moment that I realized that my record got broken and I was no longer the school record holder at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. that I kind of gave myself permission to put the, yeah, I do an Ironman and yeah, I have the school record. I need to look like it. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the, the commitment to, to health and wellness through the outlook of, you know, I need to be the best me that I am today at the age of you know, 32 rather than who I was at 22. Yeah. And even through the, through the Ironman, I'm never going to be, hopefully, competing in Ironman at 260, 270 pounds again. Yeah. And, you know, m- my strength was never running. It was never running when my coach told me to run a mile and over break. But by needing to focus on, you know, my weakness, which was marathon running, I was able to substantially drop my personal best from that first marathon in 2015 that I did in five hours and 47 minutes to most recently running four hours and 34 minutes. And then four weeks later, four hours and 19 minutes. So it's been a long timeline. Yeah you know, kind of commitment to the running, but that's why I'm so hopeful going to Chattanooga and going to Grand Rapids that the, the one part of my triathlon journey that has always been something I didn't want to work on because Mm -hmm. I was never good at it is going to hopefully fill that gap. And that has been weight loss. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was going to come back, I was going to come back to a comment that you made earlier about, um, when you and your wife raced together, and you were faster in the water, and then she was a faster runner. I, did she catch you on? I can't remember. Did she catch you on the? She caught you on the run. You're a stronger yes. biker. So now that you, I mean, a four sixteen marathon, nineteen four nineteen marathon. That's that's a. I haven't run a four nineteen marathon, and I'm I have been focusing a lot on my run lately. I mean, that's a that's a very very good uh, time. I mean, it's not going to. It's not Boston qualifying time, but it's still, that is very, very good. So do you feel like now you're very well balanced and you're feeling pretty good? So my wife is still really good at running. She's raced the Indy Monumental Marathon, which I am signed up for this year. That's kind of my last you know, race of the year, but she actually just completed that and qualified for Boston. So we'll be in Boston in the spring. And that's, you know, she did that a, just over a year after giving birth to our son. So we'd like to say she's back. Wow. So she, uh, she'll always, I think, have that advantage on me. Yeah. And if I can keep dwindling it down, maybe there's a chance. And I actually did pose it to her the other day. 
I said, so what happens whenever, you know, we do these Ironman together and in mile 25, one of us catches the other, like, are we going to finish together? Yeah. So it, it's exciting to think that that's a possibility now. Yeah. But before it was just like, Hey, so great to see you. Catch you later. <laughs> so you are, you're, so you're feeling good. I, I agree with the comment that you made a second ago that while it's not a weight loss plan necessarily, when you are focused on your daily training, you eat, even though you could eat whatever you want, it seemed like me personally, I made better food choices. Absolutely. And, and, and so just to clarify, if I've never said it before, the 50 plus pounds that I lost was over four years, right? So I, it took me four years to train for Ironman Texas start to finish for four, four and a half, right? So I didn't lose 50 pounds in a 20 week time period. And it was, it was, it was because I was very, very active and I was making good, really good, solid, uh, food choices, mainly around what I would call portion control. Growing up in Texas, we were trained or uh, you ate everything on your plate, right? That's just how we were raised. And so I would get to the point where I would, even when we would go out to eat, I would take every, I would cut everything in half, put it in a to-go box. And then I would just eat what was on my plate and I was full. Whereas before I would overeat just because of how I was wired and raised and stuff like that. But so I totally agree with it does promote that healthy lifestyle. And that's ultimately what, what caused me to benefit. And sounds like maybe you as well, um, and able to lose some weight. So that's, I'm no dietitian, but. Well, and I also say to, to your point, right. There's what you do and then how it makes you feel better. And then you make better choices and, mm -hmm. you know, every PR that you have either on the scale or on a run makes you think, Hey, this is working. Let's keep it going. So very, very experienced over these last 18 months of working on trying to just continue to maintain the pace. Mm -hmm. I think as you said, you know, keep moving forward, you know, every day is an, a new challenge and we're going to, you know, tackle it as it is today and not worry about what happened yesterday or, you know, what we need to do for tomorrow. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. So we've established that the running part you have made vast improvements on recently. You're getting better, feeling good. How was your swim when you started? I mentioned it earlier, you know, growing up swimming in the river, swimming in the creek, like it, it, there was never a fear of the water, but from a, a time pace, I don't know that I've ever gotten that much faster. Mm -hmm. um, the four Ironman that I've done, I want to say the, the times were between like 116 and 112, 112 being at Lake Placid where I was able to get on the cable line and just fly. Mm -hmm. But from a, like, it, I think it's just, you know, you put on a wetsuit, you move your arms that's one of the hugest benefits that I would say to anyone who says they can't do an Ironman because of the swim. I say, if you ever put on a wetsuit, you float, and then you move your arms. And I also believe that swimming is a lot like walking. Or if Once you learn how to breathe, you really can't go that much faster. You really can't go that much slower. You just kind of mm -hmm. have a pace. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe that'd be something that if I worked with a coach, I could improve on. But the return on investment from, I could go to the pool three, four days a week try to work on my swim stroke to save 10 minutes or I could focus on doing, you know, some sprints while I'm going to do my bike ride or, you know, now kind of focus on running, but primarily for my most recent Ironmans, I've always just focused on riding the bike, like really focused on doing the bike because the return on swimming, or as I'd say, the lack of return on running, just there was only so much time of the day to train. That's where I was going with that because obviously as triathletes, we want to be well-balanced and we want to be, I've heard some people say, why, why suck at one sport when you can suck at three or whatever, right? I'm not a great swimmer. Like everything in life, I can go to the pool and they'll, I'll, I'll there, there's three lanes and the, I'll be in the middle lane. Hypothetically, the person in the right lane, I'm super jealous of. They're so fast, right? The person in the left lane wish they could swim as fast as I can swim, right? That's just how, it, that's just how life is, right? I was literally at the gym one day and somebody was there with their coach and I overheard them say in reference to me, I wish I could swim as fast as that guy. Whereas I think I'm a horrible swimmer, right? But my, my question was going to be, and I think you already answered it is, I feel like I can only get so much faster and I feel like I'm spending too much time 
working on something that I'm not going to get that much faster at, and my time would be better spent on one of the other disciplines or honing in my transition. I lost a lot of time in transition in my last race, to be honest, right? Maybe I should spend a little bit of time there. Do you you agree with that? I think you're right on track because I look at it proportionally to how long it's going to take you to do the whole day. You know, they give you two hours and 20 minutes to do the swim. They uh, give you 17 hours to do the whole thing. I believe that your training should reflect how long you're going to spend the time at the different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to shave off 10 minutes from the swim, you're better off looking at your two transitions, biking and running. Yeah. But I don't, you know, know how somebody who's two hours plus on the swim to say, Hey, don't swim as much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you're at risk of making the cutoff, then obviously you have to take the necessary steps. I'm not any, I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, right? Anything can happen. You could, you could get a cramp. Uh, You could have a equipment malfunction. Like you could lose your goggles, right? Those things could happen. But I think uh, I'm, I'm currently swimming at about a, between a 157 and a 203 per 100 yard pace. And I went to the gym today and I was like, you know what? I've been doing interval training uh, a lot lately. And I, I mean, it's just wearing me out in the pool and I'm swimming in the, I'm swimming like 151, 152. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm just going to a marathon training right now. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to do some aerobic swimming. I ended up swimming like a 202 for, for 1500 yards. And it was so much better. Like it was, it was relaxed. I was just focusing on my form, making sure that my had a good cat, you know, high elbow catch the whole thing. And I was just, and I was just thinking to myself, maybe I'm just killing myself. I'm just not going to get that much faster for whatever reason. And maybe I shouldn't stress myself out over it and just worry, worry about really, I think it's my run. I think my run is where I can improve the most. I'm pretty strong on the bike. I would agree. I mean, I would, if, if we were working together and you said, Hey, what do you think I should do? I'd say swim less. Yeah. Less hard. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The harder you're trying, you know, this is the only time during the race that you're going to be able to be, you know, horizontal. So take advantage of it. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, even Lionel Sanders, uh, professional triathlete said the harder you work in the water, the slower you're going to go. Right. It's all about form. He, he acknowledged he was fighting, uh, in the water and it was slowing him down versus on the bike or the run where he could just muscle his way through to good times. And he finally acknowledged, I saw a YouTube video last year where he, he went and got a different coach and it was all about the, the quote unquote feel of the water. And he's, he's acknowledged that it's helped his swim and his times are ticking down. I actually follow him on the, I have those form swim goggles that have the heads up display. And so I what? follow, I, fo- oh yeah, you've not heard of these things? No. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So they have these, uh, goggles and they have a heads up display. And so it'll tell you how fast you're swimming, how long you've swam. I have a heart rate monitor that uh, clips onto it. It tells me my heart rate. Like it tells me all these things. Well, I upload it to a dashboard and Lionel Sanders has a pair. He probably gets sponsored and gets paid for it. But anyway, I follow him so I can see his daily swim workout every single day. It's insane how fast he is, right? He's swimming like 110 per 100. Uh, But, you know, he's a professional athlete. So there you go. So if I would have known that existed, I'd probably swim more just because I <laughs> like the data and I like figuring out. So everything that I just said, you might take that with a grain of salt. No, 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 no. It, it is, it is, it is pretty cool. Uh, and they're a great product. And I will say uh, we're not sponsored by form. Um, they have excellent customer service. I actually bought a pair of form goggles off eBay. They were brand new, but I bought them off eBay and they, the, the led thing went out. So I reached out to form, uh, it was like three days within the one year that I'd bought it. They actually replaced them. They replaced them uh, for me free of charge. They sent me a new pair. They didn't have to. That's awesome. Yeah. So shout out to them. But yeah, so knowing how yeah, I can see how my effort level because it has my heart rate on there. And then I, there's all, you can set drills. They're super cool. You should check them out. They're a little expensive, but uh, they're super cool. So recently... I've started asking my guests, 
their thoughts on talking to other athletes while on course? Why not? Right? You know, Lake Placid for me was a, a very interesting race. And for anyone out there listening who is driven by someone and asked them whenever they're on the side of the road, if they need help on a bike, you kind of hope they say no. <laughs> well, it, it Lake Placid about mile 99, I yelled over to a guy, Hey, you doing okay? He said, no. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, I thought, Oh man, I got to stop and help this guy. And I get over there and ask him what happened. And he's standing there with his bike and attached to his cleat is the crank arm. No. So his crank arm fell off at mile 99 on the bike ride, which is actually right before I think you hit the three hills in Lake Placid. Oh, no. And I only ask because I have a whole toolkit, and I'm like, okay, we'll figure out what happened. So I stopped and ratcheted it down without, you know, using the torque wrench or whatever. And, you know, he ended up getting on the bike and finishing. Really? But that set, set me back a decent amount of time. And then kind of got onto the run. And as we talked about before, I do kind of a run walk, try to stay really disciplined. There was a gentleman in front of me for about five miles. And I'm like, he's not getting that farther ahead of me. And when I finally caught up to him, I asked him, you know, what he was doing. And he said he was walking, he had some cramps. And we ended up walking from mile five to 21. So we did 16 miles. We were kind of a, a sweeping crew. We were doing about 15, 16 minute mile walk pace. Uh-huh. So we were still cruising. But yeah, I made some pretty good friends uh, at Lake Placid for, you know, being able to reach out to people nice. and have those conversations. But I think it probably depends on where you plan on finishing mm-hmm. and how your attitude is. I mean, thanking volunteers is always a huge boost of energy. I can't really say having conversations on the bike. I mean, passing a teammate or seeing someone you know is always a good thing to cheer on or having someone with a 60 plus on their calf as they're passing you up a hill, wishing them good luck. is always <laughs> exciting too. But for the most part, you know, I would say aside from the swim, everyone in an Ironman event seems to be your best friend. It's kind of no holds bar in the water. Kind of yeah, seems oh everyone's yeah. out to get everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I would welcome the, the, the conversation of, Hey, how's it going? You know, keep it up. You're doing great. And then most of the time people respond to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think getting locked into a, a lengthy conversation. I think there's a little bit of you know mutual respect that people do have, mm-hmm. but yeah, I definitely welcome the conversation. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If I could figure out how to talk to people on the swim, I would probably, uh, I would probably do that as well. For whatever reason, I had a, I had just had a flash of the, so the last race I did was Waco. Texas. So it was, a, I did the 70.3 and, um, I've mentioned it on the podcast before the city of Waco or the sports commission of Waco, whatever, two or three weeks before the Ironman weekend event, they hosted a swim only event on the actual Ironman and half Ironman course. And I went down to, to do that because I hadn't, I hadn't swam open water in three years or whatever it was. And I wanted, yeah, you know, still have anxiety, right? And we did a mass, what mass start. They just said everybody into the water, like everybody into the water and tread water for five minutes until they got everybody in and then blew the, blew the horn. And there, I cannot think of something that is just more terrifying than that. I was so thankful that when we actually came to Ironman race day that we, they were releasing us three at a time. Uh, I think five seconds apart. What is your, what is your, you, you mentioned the swim just a second ago. Like how, how has your swim starts been for you? So 2016, I think was the last mass swim start at Wisconsin. Okay. So we had the chance, we got in the water less than a minute before the cannon went off. It was pretty scary from that perspective, but you know, we would have been in earlier, but we had to meet my parents, drop off the bike pump. Long story. Mm-hmm. We waited probably about 30 seconds in that mass swim start, and everybody just got out of the way. The fast people were at the front of the line, the slow people were at the back of the line. We seated ourselves somewhere in the middle. Um, the mass start was a really cool experience. Ever since then, the races that we've done have been rolling, mm-hmm. which is fine. I think what's more frustrating is that the, the time on the clock isn't yours when you cross the finish line. Well, 
So I, I hold on, um, and maybe maybe it was just Waco, but they actually they must have picked up everybody's chip in the shoot, and so it wasn't a running clock. They actually showed your my name and my time from memory. Uh, it, it would hold three three athletes' positions, so it was like a digital a digital readout. So it was different than the traditional just clock that they have had in the past. So I don't know if that's something new or if it was just what Waco had when I was there. But now that you mentioned that, that's how they handled it there. Well, if that's new, that is very exciting for anyone who's you know listening and afraid that their pictures at the finish line are yeah. going great. Yeah, I, I had no, I had not thought about it, but you're exactly right. The races that I had done in the past, the, the time on the clock was not my time because we did age, you know, we didn't do rolling starts, but we did age group starts. Right. And so they were, there was never, it was never the, the right time. Maybe that is a new thing. Cause they, that's how they had it in Waco. Um, now that we think about it. Okay. Moving on. So we've talked a couple times about how strong you are on the bike. And I personally am obsessed with bikes. And so I've, I've, I think from the very beginning, I've asked all of my guests what kind of bike they ride. And so we have not learned that yet in this episode, Dennis. So what kind of bike do you ride? So I, I mentioned earlier that the bikes were a anniversary present. So mm-hmm. my wife and I knew we were going to be doing Ironman in 2016. So for our anniversary in 2015, we had been riding bikes that were... I got mine from Dick's Sporting Goods. She got hers from REI. They were road bikes. They were cheap. And for our anniversaries, we splurged and went to our local bike shop and they did the bike size assessment and gave us the, based on your height and your reach, these are some bikes that work for you. So for me, I got a 2015 BMC TM02. And the reason that I landed on that is because it had the 5339 crank set. Okay. With an 1125 cassette. And when we were shopping bikes, somebody said, well, chain length is what it is. It's a combination of what your cadence is and what gearing you in is how fast you go. So as a former thrower who doesn't do things fast, but is kind of strong, my cadence on the bike's about 75. That's as fast as I can go. Can't really get it up to that 85, 90, like most people do. Mm-hmm. So the you know, the TMO2 was just the the perfect fit. So I'd researched it, I looked at it, I said, this is what I wanted. Um, and it's been a great bike. For our first race, we actually did uh, wheel rentals that we ended up buying on Black Friday. Mm-hmm. So I'm rocking the Zip 808s. Nice. And then probably the favorite or the most effective thing um, is my saddle. So I have a, a Cobb 55 saddle mm-hmm. that was a complete game changer when it came to comfort while riding. How did you go through the saddle uh, process? Did you did you rent them? Like I, I've heard, you know, everybody has a different process. I've heard some people say, buy one, try it out, return it on the 80th, 89th day, before, you know, return policy, sell it on eBay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. How did, how did you settle on the cob? Did you go through a couple of saddles before or did you just get lucky on the first shot? So I had the, the stock saddle, mm-hmm. which I thought, oh, this is great. And it wasn't. And I had heard probably a, a year or two before the Adamo saddles mm-hmm. came out and you know, people had joked about needing to use zip ties to, to narrow the nose and do certain things like that. So um, just the the design of the, the split nose saddle seemed to be what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was right whenever the, the 55 came out. So I did go to the bike shop. They had the test saddles. I tried it for, I think it was the first ride. I'm like, yes, I'm sold. Um, wow. so I got the, the test saddle because it was just so much better than what I had. And it, you know, you're, you're, I'm not a cyclist. I just know that whenever I ride, this is kind of uncomfortable. And then I got the saddle and it was completely different. So yeah, if, if the bike is uncomfortable, I tell anyone who's listening, like think about the saddle because it, it's an investment that you don't really want to go into because you could ride the saddle that you have to complete the race, but I can't say enough how much you should really look into different saddles, different fits and what that comfort level is. Yeah. I'm on my third one and I don't know that I'm super comfortable on it. I'm actually thinking about either going back to my, my 
the one I had, my previous one, because I still have it. Or I've looked into that buy saddle. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like infinitely adjustable. And so you answer a series of questions. They tell you what model uh, that you, they recommend. They have like four models. And then you can, uh, you can widen it or narrow it or angle it or whatever. Uh, the actual sit, sit part or the sit down part, but they're a little spendy, but to your point, right. It's a comfort thing, right. And so you got to invest, get to invest in certain things. I was just curious how you went about it because I went the route of the test initially and went to a local bike shop. They gave me the test saddle. I kept it like six months. I went back and they're like, oh, you own that dude now. So mine still says test. Mine still says test on it. I ended up getting a different one. I think I have the Atomo uh, ISM or something like that. So it's a split nose. I don't I don't know if I'm comfortable on it. I, don't, I haven't decided. So a BMC. So obviously it has a big uh, trunk trunk area too because you've got all those tools uh, that you carry around with you. Oh, those are tied on my shoelaces. So no, it doesn't have any storage on it. No, no. How do you have? How do you carry all this toolkit so that you can put people's cranks back on when you're in Lake Placid? So I had one water bottle uh, in between my aero bars. Mm-hmm. I had another water bottle that had tools in it. Mm-hmm. So I had one water bottle off the back, and then one of the um, it's just a, a tool bag that we had from our road bikes mm-hmm. that I found a way to attach under the seat. Like I said, tied it up with shoelaces and it held my spare tubes and CO2 and all of that. So yeah, putting tools in a water bottle is something that I recently came to learn was a thing. I would have never came across that on my own or came to that, that idea, but I've heard somebody else say that, um, as well. I have a, I have an older model speed concept. So I have that draft box that goes mm-hmm. behind the seat tube it holds a tube, uh, my levers, my CO2 cartridge. I mean, it actually holds a fair amount of stuff back there. The, the new Trek Speed Concept doesn't have that. It has like integrated down by the bottom bracket, which is super cool, but I can't afford one of those. So I won't, I won't get to experience that firsthand, but anyway, is what it is. And you've been so much fun to hang out with. I've learned so much about shot putting and, saddle selections and all of those things uh i i I really do appreciate and super cool we we might get meet up in chattanooga i'm gonna be in chattanooga in may as you know right you know i'm racing chattanooga oh yeah we're not in the same age we're not in the same age group so we don't have to worry around we don't have to worry about that we don't have to worry about that but we we definitely meet up because there's like three or four people that i know that are that are going to be in chattanooga so that'd be fun but as hard as it is to believe we're coming to the end of our time together and so as we wrap things up, I always make available some time if my guests would like to share any last thoughts or any words of wisdom or encouragement that you might have. Um, do you have anything that you would like to share as we uh, get out of here? The last thing I'd probably say, and this is the mentality that I've taken over the past two years, and it's just because of everything that's changed with life with the experiences of, like I said, being free from having a, a record that's finally broken is I've focused on my personal average. So where I am today is not where I was two years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And, you know, making a poor decision, whether that's skipping a workout or having a milkshake, whatever you want to define as a something that might set you back in your training or in the progress that you're making is if you look at everything from a week over week, month over month, year over year, just trying to make our personal average a little bit better has really helped me to continue to stay focused, stay positive. So finding what your personal average is today and trying to move it, you know, one centimeter at a time Mm -hmm. is going to lead to those big PRs that are, you know, set to come. So I'm excited to be training with you and everyone who's listening. And I think we'll be there. I have never heard that put that way before. I really like that. Don't, don't think about the, I'm, I'm a big fan. Do you have Whataburger up in where you're at? We don't, but I've had it before and it's delicious. Well, they have right now the Dr. Pepper milkshake, which is like the best thing. I only drink water. I don't drink soda. I don't drink tea. I don't drink alcohol, 
So I have like a limited amount of things I can drink, but the Dr. Pepper milkshake is like, oh my God. But it comes with a certain level of guilt. But when I reframe it the way that you just put it and say, hey, it's not about the milkshake I had today. It's about my personal average and making sure that my personal average on a yearly or monthly basis is improving. I really like that. It's it's too late to get Sonic tonight, uh, but tomorrow perhaps. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about that as I, or, as I order that new Oreo double stuff waffle cone uh, ice cream thing. Well, I do look forward to seeing you in Chattanooga, Dennis. We're going to have to make plans to, to meet up. My wife is not going with me, so I will be all by myself, and I will be looking for people to talk to and hang out with. Mike, it's been a blast. Thanks again for having me on. Can't wait. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions, advice that you would like to share, or would like to be a guest on the show and share your story, you can email everydayironmanpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow on Instagram at everydayironmanpodcast. Until next time, keep moving forward.